Okay, so last week we ended with a discussion about light on the first day of creation. And just to review is we saw that the paradigm that we've been using throughout this series of one becomes two in order to become one which we saw in relationship the way God is creating God who is one then creates a dualistic or pluralistic world in order that man should come to be aware of God's oneness again. So one becomes two in order to become one. We saw the same thing with how Adam was first male and female together, totally unified. And male and female are divided. And then the Torah says, therefore a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. So here we have the model again. One becomes two in order to become one. So we see that on the first day of creation with light as well. That in, in God's perspective, we read a, a verse from Psalms that shows us that in God's perspective, light and dark are the, are the same. They're, they're unified. But then in creation, darkness assumes its domain. Light assumes its domain. But the end of the first day ends Vaihi Erev, which represents darkness. Vayihi Boker, represents light. Yom Echad, one day. And ultimately, we will see the unification of, of light and darkness, and everything that it represents and symbolizes will all be unified once again. <coughs> so that's where we left off. And I just wanted to give over a few more things about the light of the first day. And these are just, some of them are, are well known, but it's, it's good to mention, since we're studying in the beginning, is that on the first day of creation, light is mentioned five times. Five times. And the sages say that this represents or maybe even more accurate is the source of the five books of Moshe Chumash why? because Torah is called light Ner Mitzvah the Torah or the a Mitzvah is like a candle and the Torah is light there's 613 individual mitzvah. When you put them all together, you have this huge light called the Torah. It's not a coincidence that in Aramaic, so the Torah is called Oraita. Light, Oraita. It's the Oraita. Hmm? The Oraita. Yeah. But From the or. Yeah, from the Or. Now Hanukkah is coming up, and everyone points out a small but beautiful fact that the 25th word in the Torah is light. And Hanukkah begins on the 25th of Kislev. There's no other holiday that begins on the 25th of the month. And what happened to this light? So we're told that this light was hidden away for the for the tzaddikim la'atilavah for the righteous in the time to come. 
So it's very, very important to understand that the light was not withdrawn, certainly not permanently. It was hidden. So if something's hidden, it's possible to find it. And so therefore, uh, different commentaries express a number of places where this light can be accessed today. So one understanding is that the, the, this light, which was a spiritual light, it was an infinite light. So it was hidden and revealed in the menorah. The menorah in the temple uh, shone a this this light. Yeah, no, I mean not the whole thing. If it was the whole thing, the world could not exist, right? This is God's infinite light here. So what it means by it was hidden in the menorah, that the light was able to only be part of this clean, this menorah, and that's where the light was. Mm-hmm. And that's why it means it was hidden. Right. So actually I have a, a beautiful yeah. idea because why do we light a Hanukkah on Hanukkah? Hanukkah is an eight-branched candelabra, whereas the menorah was a seven. But it's clear that we're, we're, the eight is for the eight days of lighting the menorah. In other words, when we light the Hanukkah, it's as if we're lighting the menorah. So that's the other place that's brought down, is that the lights of Hanukkah both hide and reveal in other words, this light is hidden in the physical light of Hanukkah. But also, in seeing the physical light, we can grasp this infinite spiritual light. And the other place that they say is in the Torah itself. That when we learn Torah, and we do mitzvot, we are accessing this hidden light. And, and the other place that they say is Shabbos. And so it's very significant that Shabbos is begun by women lighting candles. So the lighting lights. Is in, in the Ramadan. It's yeah. Still, it's still in other places. It's not, you're talking the physicality. It's yeah. It's, it's hidden in, in the Torah, Shabbos, the menorah, and the Hanukkah. So... I said all that because or is the 25th word of the, of the Torah and this alludes to Hanukkah this alludes to the, <coughs> one day there will be a holiday of light where this initial infinite light will be manifest again Ezra Peshach now, the connection between light and infinite light we see in the Gematria. Light is 207. And the expression for God's infinite essence, which is called in Hebrew, Ein Sof, is also 207. So that's why sometimes the pre-state of creation yes so that's why sometimes when we talk about what what was the state of reality before creation so the answer was it was a state of Ein Sof it was only God there was no uh, other reality truthfully there was no other reality now either so we just have the illusion of a of physical and spiritual worlds uh, which really are enclosing and masking God. 
and sometimes this reality is called Ein Sof, the infinite essence of God, and sometimes it's called Or Ein Sof, the infinite light. So this is just a very beautiful hint to the connection between light and in infinity is that they have the same gematria. Now another word that has the same gematria is Raz, which in Aramaic means secret. So this light holds many secrets. Many, many, many secrets. Okay, so now we're going to move on to other ideas. And we've already mentioned that on the first day of creation it ends with the word Echad. Yom Echad. One day. So here we, we've, we've pointed out the one becomes two in order to become one. So here we see it also. God who is one creates a world of plurality all on the first day. Remember we learned that everything that would ever be according to the sages was already created on the first day in potential. And the Big Bang modeled the universe as the exact same thing. That everything that would ever be created was already existing in the infinitely small point that explodes and it's called the Big Bang. So both the sages and science agree that all was there in the beginning, on the first day. And the first day ends with the word Echad. That the ultimate purpose of everything is to get back to that oneness. To get back to that unity. So Rav Ginsburg points out a very interesting thing in the seven days of creation that the word one appears three times. Now, the, the last one is in what's called the retelling of the story. You have the seven days of creation, and then the Torah, in a sense, goes back, like a flashback, like in a movie, and goes over the whole story of the creation of, of Adam. Well, that happened in the sixth day. But then the Torah just went from the sixth day to Shabbos. And now it goes back and tells the story of what happened on the sixth day. So that's when the third time that the word one appears. But it's really within the six days of creation. And these three are at the, <coughs> me, at the end of the first day. So it says Yom Echad. One day. When it talks about God gathering up all the waters in order to expose dry land. So it says he gathered them up to Makom Echad, to one place. And then God tells Adam that <coughs> now that Eve is created, therefore a man leaves his mother and father and he clings to his wife to become one flesh. Basar Echad. So you have three times that the word Echad appears. Now, what's very beautiful about this is that in the Sefer Yitzira, so we're told that reality is made up of three different types of dimensions, which in the Sefer Yitzira are called Shana, excuse me, Olam, Shana and Nefesh which is translated as world, Olam time, literally year Shana and Nefesh, soul so it's explained that, that these represent five dimensions five, five. how? Uh, Olam, world represents our physical world which is three-dimensional. Our physical world is three-dimensional. Shana represents time which 
until Einstein, no one really put space and time together. Einstein revealed that space and time actually are one continuum. Therefore, time is the fourth dimension, and the fifth dimension is nefesh, soul. The, the first one was what? Olam. Olam is the three dimensions. Oh, three dimensions, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Shana is time, yeah. one dimension, makes four. Yeah, yeah. And the fifth is nefesh, soul. So now, until Einstein, we only talked about three dimensions. Einstein revealed that time is also understood as a dimension and what remains is for science to recognize soul as a dimension and though this seems like they'll never do it it's, it's not necessarily true because in quantum physics today uh, there is a, a growing awareness of the role of consciousness in determining reality that, with, that consciousness becomes not just the one that is measuring reality but becomes an active player in the reality that is being measured this is a, a very big principle of quantum physics today and so they haven't labeled quite yet soul as a dimension but uh, it, <coughs> it, it, it probably won't be long before they don't before they understand consciousness now we're talking not, not just about so you don't need human that. consciousness but the idea uh, what's being talked about in, in physics now very very much is the idea of information that uh, physicists are starting to talk about physical reality as nothing more than encoded information that is present everywhere in the universe again they'll stop, stop short of saying that this is what we call uh, God divinity and, but they even use the word the thought that, that uh, reality is being thought more and more as pure thought and it's just manifest as physical reality so all this is alluded to in Sefer Yitzhira when it talks about these three types of dimensions so Rav Ginsburg points out that these three appearances of the word one so the first one is one day which relates to time day obviously relates to time one place represents the world one place equals the three dimensions of space one space and basarachad one flesh represents two souls coming together in, in oneness so here again we have that the all the dimensions of physical reality are linked by the concept of one echad that they're all manifestations of one basic energy which we call God And of course, this realization comes in the Shema. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu 
Shemachar. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So therefore, the realization of time, space, and soul is very connected to our mission as a Jewish people is to reveal the one God in the world. Not just one God, but that ultimately all is one. All is one. Okay, so now we return for a moment to the first sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Reshit, bara, elokim, And when reading the sentence, so the sages noticed and received the tradition that there are six alephs in the first sentence. Letter aleph appears six times in the first sentence of the Torah. And afterwards you'll, you'll look at it and you'll see six, six alephs. And from this it says in the Gemara, from this we learn that this cycle of history will last for 6,000 years and the 7,000th will be the Messianic era. Amen. <laughs> but it's important because we hear this concept all the time. Mm-hmm. The concept all the time that we're in the year 5768 and we're approaching 6,000 years and therefore Mashiach is approaching because this, the seventh millennium is Yom Shekul Shabbos, a, a day that is all Shabbos, the Messianic era. But here we see the, where the source is. The source is in the six Alephs. So what, what's the connection? Six Alephs. Because what does Aleph mean? One of the meanings of Aleph is Aleph, which means a thousand. So encoded in the first verse of the Torah is the 6,000 years that this cycle of Shemayim and Oretz will take place in. And just like we've seen the relationship between 6 and 7 is encoded throughout creation Six days you work, and the seventh you shall rest. Six years you shall work, and the seventh year will be a sabbatical. Six thousand years you toil, and the seven thousandth is a new era, messianic era. And if you remember, we saw this combination of six and seven is that the first word of the Torah is six letters and the first sentence of the Torah is seven words. So even in the first sentence we have the relationship of six to seven. And in fact, when we permuted the letters of Bereshit, one that we didn't mention was Bara Sheet. He created six. Sheet in Aramaic means six. So when it says Bara Sheet, actually the way the letters uh, are aligned in their, in their exact order Bara Sheet, Bara Sheet. He created six. Now there's in six days he created. And we learn also that the, the word Shabbat also appears in Bereshit. So that we learn the first in thought is the last in deed. That's what we sing in L'Chadodi every Shabbos. Sof Ma'aseh V'mach Shabbat Achila. The last in deed is the first in thought. So here we see the, the relationship between 6 and 7 also encoded in the first sentence. So another connection here 
is also on the, on the first day, on the second sentence of the Torah. So it says, Vaha'aras Haita Tahu Vavahu. And the earth was chaos and void. And darkness on the face of the deep or abyss. The Ruach Elohim Mirachefet Al And the Spirit of God hovered on the waters. So the Midrash comments, what is the Ruach of God that is hovering on the waters? The Ruach of Mashiach. So this is a very important Midrash, an extremely important Midrash. Because what is it telling us? It's telling us already in the first day of creation, the spirit of Mashiach was hovering on the waters. Now what this means is, the implication is, like we said, this, the, the end of deed is the first in thought. In other words, already encoded into the first day of creation is the ultimate outcome. Which means that there is a direction to creation. There is a plan. There is a purpose. Which of course flies in the face of uh, certain scientists or people who will say that the implication of evolution is that it occurs to random events and we are where we are in the state of the universe not through any particular plan it's just it was random and this is where we are this is how we ended here and so there's no guiding uh, force behind creation so this Midrash that the Spirit of God that was hovering on the waters, the sages said this is the Spirit of Mashiach, so they're telling us something very important, that it's not true, that there is a direction. We might not always see it, maybe we hardly see it, but there is a, a direction and purpose and plan. So how does that connect? With what's actually going on now. Um, but there's something else I was going to say. If that is correct, but we as human beings don't know the plan. Right? So I've answered my question. Okay. Mm-hmm. We don't know the exact plan, but we do know where it's going. It's, it's moving towards Mashiach. When we'll get there, we don't know exactly. But from these six Alephs, the sages said when we approach the 6,000th year of this cycle of history, that's when it will occur. If not sooner, we're told that it can come sooner. This is the. Um, explanation of the sages of the words of the prophet that says talking about the final (coughs) redeemer in its time I will hasten it so the sages asked a great question if it's in its time how can you hasten it and if you can hasten it how can you say that there's a set time Ah, 
So the sages answer, if we merit, it will be hastened. And if we don't merit, it will come in its time. How long was Exodus cut short by? 190 years. So maybe we can take off 190 from the... No, for sure. For sure. You do not have to wait to the 6,000th year. The Sheikh could have come a thousand years ago. But we're told that the Be'ita... The, the time is, is the 6,000 years. That's like built into the system. There's no doubt. That's the maximum. There's no doubt that our return to Israel at the end of the sixth millennium, we're in, we're in the end of the sixth millennium, is indicative and a manifestation of the plan beginning to unfold. Again, how it will unfold, why it had to take so long, why we couldn't have brought Mashiach sooner, this will be revealed only when Mashiach comes. We could take our educated uh, guesses, um, and they might be right, but these are things that only God knows right now. But the rebirth of the state of Israel, the ingathering of the exiles that is happening before our eyes, these are very strong signs that something awesome is, is happening. We know that we live in awesome times. And hopefully we will merit that it should be Achishana. It should be Barachami. It should be hastened with compassion for Rachamim. So Afrishana is to be hasty. Yeah. So this many times is, is compared to the idea of lighting candles early before Shabbat. That why do we light why do we light 18 minutes before Shabbos or in Yerushalayim 42 minutes before? So there's a number of reasons, but the the very technical reason is that if we would wait to the to the very last minute, so maybe it's a cloudy day, maybe we don't see when the sun is setting, maybe our watches are are fast or slow, and we end up lighting on Shabbos. So we purposely light before in order not to get into that uh, that area. It's called adding a fence to the Torah to protect ourselves from lighting a fire on Shabbos. Spiritually, though, we're told that it's a concept called bringing Shabbos into the week. To add holiness into mundane time. So those 18 minutes, they're still part of the week. But if, if, if we've taken Shabbos on so that it becomes Shabbos. So the same thing with bringing Mashiach earlier. We're told we, we can light candles early and enter the Messianic era early. So right now we're, we're in, the, in really Shabbos afternoon. That's where we are. That's where we are in, in history. Because we're in the sixth millennium. Each millennium corresponds to a day. Because we have this model of six days, and the seventh is Shabbos. So fifty-seven, sixty-eight. We are three quarters done with the sixth day. Three quarters. Three past midday. Yeah, because seven fifty. midday. Yes. Wow. In other words, so you've got any more business. In other words, at, at the year fifty, at, at the year, the year five thousand five hundred, yeah. we reached midday, right. and now we're in the last. Was that the when was that? Was that the great um, like all the revolution, all the inventions? Ah, the that we'll get to in a second. Industrial. Revolution. Yeah, that was. That was the statement in the Zohar. The well um, Yes, that in 
the 600th year of the 6th millennium the lower waters will rise up and flood the earth this is interpreted to mean the lower waters of secular knowledge and science and all the technical uh, and industrial advances that have come in the last years because the the 600 year is 1840 and because the beginning of that 100 years was 1740 we're talking about the period between 1740 and 1840 that's when the industrial revolution the American revolution the French revolution the the, the cotton gin the steamboat the uh, train uh, photography telegraph all began the world was not the same after that the world changed from 1840 to 1940 then you add electricity the airplane the automobile the telephone and then from 1940 to now when you add computers spaceships email faxes ships and everything that goes with it all the advances in medicine and communications and industry and technology the atomic bomb nuclear power and all this is happening in a relatively short amount of time so this prediction in the the Zohar is that in in the 600th year of the 6th millennium the lower waters will rise up and they said also that the upper waters would also break forth and 1740 is the beginning of the Hasidic movement and then it ends by saying all in preparation for the messianic era meaning all the technological advances in the world are seen by the Zohar 2000 years ago as the preparation for the messianic era that the influx of Hasidut and Kabbalah into the world and all of the physical changes are all working together towards the coming of Mashiach. And so this is all alluded to in the six Alephs of the first sentence of the Torah. I've heard that it's everything is in the first creation, the first six days the whole Torah and everything else is a commentary everything else is a a extension an expression and further manifestation that's just beautiful Mm -hmm. that's what we've been learning the whole time Mm -hmm. we we just go back farther and farther that the whole Torah is in the seven days of creation that it can be seen in the first day all there in the first day that's all there in the first sentence that's all there in the first word and it can all be seen in the first letter as well that's the that's the and the, and the dot and then even the, the, the white space surrounding it so this is the, the concept of Tzimtzum that it goes back farther and farther and farther and it's all contained there and then it just expands and then it just expands <coughs> now we're going to jump to the end of the seventh day the end. the end of the seventh day where the last words of what's called Ma'aseh Bereshit the creation of the world are Ashabara Elohim Ma'asot that God made to do. It's part of Kiddush. Bara 
Elohim la'asot. Okay, so the last word of the description of creation is la'asot. That God made to do. So the commentaries ask, what is that word doing there? It, it, it almost seems superfluous. That God made. Period. Literally, that God made to do. What are we learning from to do? <coughs> so as explained in Hasidut, that la'asot means litaken. To fix. To rectify. And this last word that seems to be superfluous, as far as man is concerned, becomes the most important word. Because it's as if the Torah is telling us that God made all of this, la'asot, for man then to take it and to become a partner with God in creation in order to finish it. In other words, God purposely left the creation unfinished. That it would be what we call a work in, crea- a work in pro- process. A work in process. And that's what we learn from this word, La'asot. That God made to do, the to do becomes like an eternal present. That we're continually doing, meaning fixing and rectifying, healing, improving, adding. And that is the place that God left for man to do. So that what appears to be a superfluous word becomes, like I said, the, like the foundation of what we do with creation. La'asot. So from the last letters of these three words, bara, elokim, la'asot, the last letters of each three words the bara is an aleph, elokim is a mem, and la'asot is a tough. Spells emet. And so the the Gemara says about this that God's seal is truth. That God sealed the creation with emet. So if you look back to Bereshit, so you'll take the first three words. Here we took the last three words of the account of creation and see that the last three letters spell emet. But let's look at the first three words of the Torah. So here we have Bereshit is a Tav, Bara is an Aleph, Elohim is a mem, which also spells not in the same order, but it also spells emet. So three letters of emet, truth. <coughs> bara. Oh, right. Right. Bereshit is the tough. Bara is the aleph. Elohim is the mem. So it also spells emet. but not in its proper order. And this, again, teaches us about this idea of, of tikkun, that, that we have to take, let's call it the raw ingredients of creation, and reorder them that they will spell emmet. So we just mentioned this idea of being a partner with God in creation. So interesting enough, we're told that when we say Kiddush on Friday night, which says these last words of the account of creation, so the Talmud says we become partners with God in creation. So 
that's a, a very powerful idea, image of becoming a partner with God in creation. It also says that someone who judges a righteous judgment becomes a partner with God in the creation of the world. Okay, so now let's connect the end of the Torah with the beginning of the Torah. This is a Torah that's usually given over at Simchas Torah time. When we actually do read the end of the Torah, and then we roll it up and we begin it again. And so the, the last letter of the Torah is a Lamed. And the first letter of the Torah is a Bet. So everyone comments that this spells Lev, heart. But if you remember, we learned that the beginning of Sefer Yitzira is with 32 wondrous pathways of wisdom, God created the world. And we learned that these 32, which spell Lev, heart, alludes to the 32 times that the name Elohim appears in the account of creation. So just like we compared the first three words of the Torah, which end with the letters that spell Emet, and the last three words that spell Emet, and those we begin with Emet, and we end with Emet, of the, of the account of creation, here of the whole Torah, the last three words are Be'enei Kol Yisrael in the eyes of all of Israel. Those are the last three words of the Torah. In the eyes of all of Israel. How does the Torah begin? Bereshit bar Elohim. In the beginning God created. So it's brought down in Hasidut that we put the end together with the beginning, not just the last letter and the first letter, but we read the last three words and the first three words as if it was a sentence. So how does it read? In the eyes of all Israel, in the beginning God created. So this is, this is an amazing idea. In the eyes of all of Israel, in the beginning God created. So how do we understand this? So there's a Midrash that says that before God created the world, He took counsel with the souls of the tzaddikim. So what's the obvious question you would ask on this? Before God created the world, He took counsel with the souls of the tzaddikim. What's an obvious question you could ask? They're created before this. Yeah, like, if we're talking before creation, what Sadiqim? <laughs> what, what souls? What are we talking about? Yeah, what is Sadiqim? This is before creation. So the answer that's given is this Midrash is, we'll call it an internal dialogue that God is having within as it were, his own thought process. And who are the souls of the tzaddikim? These are the, the eventual souls of the tzaddikim of the Jewish people. So God asked advice, as it were, of the souls of the tzaddikim. Now, it's, it's an internal dialogue. So when we say, in the eyes of all of Israel, God created, in the beginning God created, it's as if to say that every Jew has 
deep, 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 deep inside of him or her a collective memory of even before creation. In other words, that part of our soul that is a spark of God in us. So that spark of God existed before creation. So therefore there is some place in us, as abstract as it sounds, that has a memory or a, a remembrance of pre-creation. So that's what it means. In, in the eyes of all of Israel, in the beginning God created, as if we were there. Yeah. So this explains the idea of making Kiddush Friday night and standing. Why do we stand? Is because when you give testimony, you, st- you have to stand. What are we doing when we make Kiddush? We're testifying in we're testifying that God created the heavens and the earth. If we just read the words that we're saying, we're testifying that God created the heavens and the earth. So another obvious question can be asked. How can you give testimony if you weren't there? How can anyone give testimony about something that they didn't witness? And here we are, we're we're saying that God created the heavens and the earth. And he rested on the seventh day. And so, well, what kind of testimony is this? So the answer is, in the deepest way, in the eyes of all of Israel, in the beginning, God created. We were there. There's a spark within us that was there. As far out as it sounds. But here we're talking in pure consciousness. Hmm? That's how we remember all of history. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we were there. We were there. We did experience it. Since the... the the souls of the Jewish people are essentially bound together and in the secret of Gilgul reincarnation so we've all seen it all that's why it says that the Pesach said person has to see himself as if he came out of Egypt so Hasidut Explains it's not as if we came out of Egypt every year when we sit at the Pesach Seder we're not talking about someone else we're not talking about someone else we were there because we're told that every soul of every Jew (coughs) who would ever be born stood at Mount Sinai and who stood at Mount Sinai the ones who came out of Egypt we were there. So just like we all have in our collective unconscious a, a memory of Mount Sinai, the revelation of Mount Sinai, even deeply and more embedded is this memory of the creation of the world. In the eyes of all the Israel in the beginning, God created. It's an awesome Awesome idea. Awesome idea. Okay, so we're going to end this series with just a few ideas as to what to do with all of this. We've just learned absolutely incredibly enlightening ideas regarding the creation, connection with science, seeing the divinity of the Torah, how it all works together. So 
So the question is, okay, so what do we do with this? Other than a a deep appreciation for the for the divinity of the Torah. So we know that there's a concept we say in our in our prayers every every day, twice in fact, that God in his goodness renews the works of creation. So if we were studying <coughs> the works of creation as a one time proposition happened a long time ago it's good, it's interesting to know where the universe came from how creation happened so that would also be important be very important but then we say every day that God in his mercy renews the works of creation and his goodness then we're relating to creation as an ongoing process, a work in progress. And this is also an idea that is confirmed by science now, that the two concepts that God created the world, Yeshmi Ayan, something from nothing so that we saw is reflected very strongly in the Big Bang at this immensely vast physical universe all came from a single point of matter as if from nothing Yeah, something from nothing. And this other concept that God renews the works of creation daily. So Kabbalah and Hasidut explain daily or continue, uh, ah, continually. In the prayer it says, Bakal Yom, every day. He renews the works of creation. The Kabbalah and Hasidur explain it's not just every day, every split second. And every split second, it's as if God is recreating the world. And we can understand it like the frames of a movie that when you're watching a movie you see a continual picture continual flow of the story but if you would go back in the movie projector you would see that there that flow is actually individual frames that are just moving very, very quickly that we don't see the space between frames. That's how, at least until digital, and who knows, that's how a movie was presented. A movie was on a reel, and it had individual frames that just run very quickly, and you just don't see the, the, the black in between the frames. So this is a wonderful uh, metaphor for creation. That we are experiencing creation as a continual flow. But as it were, in, in reality, it's being recreated every frame. It's been recreated every frame. And this has confirmed what they have found inside an atom. They have seen that inside the atom, along with the electrons and the protons and the neutrons and the quarks and all the subatomic uh, particles that are there, there are a constant 
flow of particles that burst in and out of reality in a billionth of a second. What do you mean in and out of reality? In other words, <coughs> out of the space. Yeah, but like one billionth of a second, they're not there. Okay. And they burst in and then they're gone. Just on off, on off. On off, on off. That's what they found inside the atom. There was a continual flow of energy through these particles that they don't, they don't let, their lifespan is a billionth of a second. It's a billionth of a second. This is the recreation. Now, but that's what we can see. See, if we could see even the neutron, electron, and proton, we would, in a sense, I'm using the metaphor of these frames, but that's what we would see. They, they, it looks like they're, they're rotating on their axis inside the atom, and, so, and it appears to be continual and one flow. But really, all of creation is bursting in and out of reality every billionth of a second. And so, why is this important? Why is this important? Because, since this is what is really happening, that's, that's what we learned from science today. That what you see is not what you get. What you see is a superficial look at reality. Reality is not that. And, and, and truth of the world, a hundred years after Einstein, is still trying to absorb that. That our description of reality is not really what's happening. Science has a completely different description for what makes up time and space and how it all works. We, we see with our eyes solid images. But if we could put on, let's say, atomic glasses, so we would see that, like, like, like the dots of a TV screen, that if you stand back far enough, it's, they're concrete images. As you approach the TV set, you, all, you see whirling dots. That's what these solid forms are made of. But it's the same thing with atoms, with everything. What we're seeing is, is just an outside view of reality. So on a spiritual level, though, what do we do with this? On a spiritual level, the, the message is very clear. That at every moment, there is the possibility of newness. And this is what's called in Hasidut, Hit Chad Shut. And the word chadash, being connected to the physical reality is only a reflection of a spiritual reality. So the idea that God is recreating the world at every split second has its counterpart in the spiritual world. If we're not aware of this, so we fall into a rote type of life. But if we're aware of this and we start plugging in to this constant flow of spiritual energy, then we tap into an infinite flow of spiritual possibility. So therefore, we'll end with what we began with. That by understanding the Torah's account of creation, not only do we learn about the world that we live in, not only do we learn about God's relationship to that world and our place in the world, but by connecting and learning about the divine creative process, we who are made in the image of God can take all kinds of lessons as to how to, that, how to apply those principles and ideas 
to our own creative process and that becomes a very uh, exciting and fulfilling dimension of, of these kind of learnings is when we learn to then translate them into our life and so this last idea I said perhaps is the most important of them all is that if creation is happening not as a one time uh, thing in the past but as an ongoing process so that should give us tremendous inspiration and energy and hope about all the opportunities of spiritual enlightenment that are out there so we should have the blessing to continue to delve into the mysteries of the Torah that God should open up our eyes to the wonders in his Torah and we should be able to connect to, to this ongoing flow of heat chatshut of new energy in the world Amen.